Hello, I'm Eric Chabro of GovInfoSecurity.com, and today I'm speaking with Patricia Titus, Chief Information Security Officer for Unisys Federal Systems and former CISO at the Department of Homeland Security's Transportation Security Administration. Welcome, Patricia. Thanks. Thanks very much, Eric. At a congressional hearing last month, the highest-ranking cybersecurity official at the Department of Homeland Security, Philip Reitinger, testifying on the Lieberman Collins bill, said that the administration would rather not have separate organizations devoted to cybersecurity and physical security because they're jointly related. What is the link between securing the virtual and the physical? There's been a lot of integration between physical security and and what we refer to as logical. So logical security utilizes infrastructure such as card readers and biometrics and video surveillance, which are all based on technology, so there are cyber implications to them or virtual implications. So uh, I agree with Phil. By trying to pull them apart and put them into different agencies, you're going to have issues between the collaboration that needs to happen between the physical and virtual world. Today, if you look at the organizational structures within an agency or a department, you'll have a chief security officer who deals with the personnel and physical security tightly coupled to your chief information security officer who handles your virtual security or your IT security. And the CISO usually reports under the chief information officer where your CSO or chief security officer usually reports into a chief operating officer or in some instances even a a chief human resources officer. Do you think that structure is a good one to continue or are we getting to a point where maybe things should start being viewed differently, not only in government but elsewhere? The chief security officer and chief information security officer have, through the FISMA, the Federal Information Security Management Act legislation, have always had a very tight relationship. And if you look at the Homeland Security Presidential Directive 12, HSPD 12, which is the common access card, now you're starting to see the linkages between an IT system that uses badging your a common access card to get into a building now looked at being used for logical access to the network. So it also stores your credentials to get into a building as well as to get on the network. So I think there's a convergence happening. I don't know if it's a good idea right at this point in time to to converge the two. We're starting to see some of that happening in the private sector, actually. So you've got chief security officers who have responsibility in some way, shape, or form of the IT infrastructure as well from a security perspective. Um, I would say the government probably doesn't need to go that route quite yet and probably should wait until industry irons out the issues, the convergence between CISO and CSO roles. The administration is giving the Department of Homeland Security more authority over other federal civilian agencies in securing IT, the so-called .gov part of government, and some bills in Congress do exactly that, such as Lieberman-Collins. There are some lawmakers who are reluctant in doing so, and there's other bills that would not give that kind of authority. What do you perceive as the role of DHS as the guardian of the .gov area? I really think that direction should be coming directly from Howard Schmidt, our cybersecurity coordinator. The view when he took office was that he would have overarching visibility into the civilian agencies as well as the DOD, Department of Defense, U.S. Cyber Command, and also the intelligence community. I would hope that Howard Schmidt is well ingrained in what 
resources, commitment, and ultimate power is being given to Homeland Security in protecting this quote-unquote .gov domain, which in my mind really belongs to Vivek Kundra, our CIO. So a little bit concerning if it's only Homeland Security being given more power versus the direction coming from Howard Schmidt, our cybersecurity coordinator, who should be giving ultimate direction for policy bases on both sides of the fence. There was a document issued by the Office of Management and Budget, the office where Vivek Kundra works and reports to the OMB director. It was, I believe, jointly signed by Peter Orzeg, the OMB director, and Howard Schmidt, giving DHS more cybersecurity authority. Is that the appropriate way to handle this? I think that's the right direction. It allows Howard to have visibility into what level of authority Homeland Security is being given over the .gov. But I also would think that DHS is going to take a more succinct and more proactive role with our citizen protection. So the IT infrastructure within the United States could also be considered part of protecting Homeland. So from a consumer basis, you know, we can't forget that component either. Right now, I'm sure all the focus is based on the federal agencies with the changes to the FISMA legislation and some of the other national critical infrastructure protection legislation that's pending. I'm a little bit concerned that we're getting close to recess and elections that any of this is going to get actually through Congress. Is there really a critical need to get it done now versus maybe next year? Because one, for example, one of the big changes that people talk about is FISMA reform, and it seems like the what's coming out of OMB in many respects, is business reform going to real-time monitoring versus paper process? So is it worth waiting a few more months? That's an interesting. I'm glad to hear you say that, Eric, because not a lot of people have actually picked up on that continuous monitoring piece and the direction that is coming out of OMB and our federal CIO. I would say that there is reform going on, but I'll also say that that continuous monitoring piece that we're now focusing on, it's always been in the original FISMA legislation. Everyone was so focused on that quote-unquote certification and accreditation component that they forgot to keep going, which the last part of certification and accreditation then, the next step is continuous monitoring. So I'm really excited to see the government focusing on that so they can get out of this paper malaise that they've gotten themselves into and really focus on what matters, and that is continuously monitoring for vulnerabilities and threats. What is the need to have significant cybersecurity legislation passed sooner than later? To be honest with you, Eric, some organizations and companies might be waiting for the legislators to tell them what to do. And I think that's the wrong approach, and people should be encouraged to start working proactively start looking at their internal defenses and are they doing enough to achieve adequate security controls. If we don't get something through our legislators, people are going to go back to status quo and we're going to lose the momentum that we've gained over the past year plus when President Obama announced that cybersecurity was a national priority. What areas of cybersecurity should be more aggressively addressed that aren't being addressed now? Well, I think several things are being addressed. So I wouldn't say that there are areas that are not being addressed. It's um, it's the areas of criticality for the country. So obviously, I'm, I'm very keen on the National Critical Infrastructure uh, Act that looks like it's going to make its way through here, hopefully before recess and on elections. That, I think, is really important for us to determine what level of authority the president has 
what constitutes cyber warfare or a cyber attack that would allow the president to request from the private sector that certain things be taken offline. I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done there, and it's not just legislative. It's also the public-private partnership conversations that need to get going focused on this critical infrastructure. So to me, that is a conversation that hopefully we'll see happening soon between Howard Schmidt and the Information Technology Sector Coordinating Council, or what's called the ITSCC. Those those types of conversations need to pick up in, um, and get better formulated and better frameworks and have better performance measures and metrics to respond back to protecting critical infrastructure since I hear numbers 85 to 90 percent of the critical infrastructure in the United States is owned by the private sector. So legislation is great, but it's got to be a public-private partnership with more output from the government than we've seen in the past. And it has gotten tremendously better under this administration. I'm seeing more communication coming out of Homeland Security from in the form of alerts, more communication between the sector coordinating council and the information technologies strategic advisory council, the IT, ISACs, all those committees, I'm starting to see a lot more communication, but it really needs to get pumped up and get more attention so that the private sector can have more input than we've had in the past and the government can have more output than we've seen them have in the past. Just to understand what you're saying, just to clarify, because it seems like every time I hear someone from the administration talk about cybersecurity, they're always talking about public-private partnerships. Are you saying that they're not doing enough or that they're on the right track and just need to continue doing what they're doing? I think they're on the right track, but it needs to get pumped up and get going. There isn't enough dialogue going on, in my mind. It's better than it was in previous years, but it's still not where it needs to be in order to address our critical infrastructure. Why do you suspect that's the case? I'm assuming that it's based on, right now, resources. So if I look at Homeland Security wanting to hire a 1,000 cybersecurity experts or IT security professionals, where are they going to come from? Those individuals right now are in critical infrastructure roles within companies in the private sector. So if they all get hired by the U.S. government, who's going to be out in industry protecting critical infrastructure? So it's kind of a double-edged sword. And the answer is? Well, right now I think Homeland Security is having a tough time filling positions especially positions with experts where they need to be pulling at a subject matter expert level. A lot of people either have been in the government and are not interested in going back into that environment. It is very pressure cooker environment. You know, you don't get a lot of pay for the glory. There's a lot of negatives, and and obviously the positive is you're serving your country, but it's the hiring process. How do I get in? So a lot of people are comfortable staying in industry and providing their services back on a contractual basis. And the other positive thing about being contracted to the government is you can stay refreshed with your certifications and stay in touch with IT security. When I was in the government, we were only given $500 a year for individual development, meaning training and education. So $500 won't even get you a, a security training course at the SANS Institute. The bonus to industry is we're able to put more money into our people and our our human capital development, which is critical and key for us. That's something that the government 
has not been able to do up to this point. The other thing is the government doesn't have a job series category through the Office of Personnel Management for IT security professionals. They talk about certifying in some of the legislation I've seen. They want to have a certification program for cybersecurity people working in the government, but yet they haven't solved the problem of the job series. So right now, everybody falls under what's called a 2210, which is an IT specialist. So they really need to come up with a different job series for the cybersecurity professional in the government. What you're suggesting is something the government has done for many years and, you know, contracting out a lot of its uh, services to companies like yours and others. Obviously, working for Unisys, you probably don't see a problem with that, but it, with something like cybersecurity, is there still a certain need for a certain number of people to be employed by the government as, you know, as some work is still contracted out? I think there is a healthy balance between the trust but verify model that needs to happen. There's been a lot of discussion about what's quote-unquote inherently government. And I think that's another area where the government has to decide what is inherently government and what can we contract out. And then if we call something inherently government, meaning the gov- a government employee needs to perform that work, where do I get the resources and how much do I pay those resources to perform that job? So there's a lot of variables to it, but I agree there's a balance between the number of federal employees versus the number of contract employees. And I did have to balance that in my previous job in the government. There is a very fine line between maintaining what's called a full-time equivalency staff or an FTE staff or hiring out and and contracting. The bonus of contracting is you can move your resources and align them based on needs of your organization versus you've hired a person, you put them in a position, and that's where they stay for five years. Well, thank you, Patricia. Thank you. I've been speaking with Patricia Titus, Chief Information Security Officer for Unisys Federal Systems. I'm Eric Chabro of GovInfoSecurity.com. Thanks for listening.